Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Kesset. If you're new, my name's Danny and I am one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm so excited that you're here. I know there's so many great things going on in town and it's just great to to just to get to see your faces in the midst of the busy holiday season. I hope that's going okay so far. Uh, we're in a series right now called Tradition, Legend, and Lore. We're actually wrapping this up next week. As the announcement video mentioned, we're going to be uh, having a Christmas Eve service at 9 and 11. Uh, traditionally, we've always done a Saturday night Christmas Eve service to accommodate all the people, but as many of you know, uh, we weren't sure when our building was going to be done, so we didn't reserve certain dates, our bad, and that particular Saturday got snapped up. So we're going to put everybody in two services at 9 and 11 next Sunday, and you're going to like it. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Uh, the exciting thing is that uh, mid-January, Pastor Tom's going to come back with an update. He's got some really good news and a lot of good information about uh, kind of what next year's looking like for us, and we're excited to share that with you. We will also be launching a brand new series in January that I'm not going to tell you about. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> she said, what? <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Uh, and we're, we're just stoked. Things are, things are really in a neat place here within our congregation, and I know a lot of it's because of the Holy Spirit and the people that he's brought in all sorts of different capacities and all sorts of different journeys. Uh, some of those people are our setup and teardown people that you will hear more and more about as we uh, transition to a permanent building, but they do everything you see up here. Every piece of this leaves and every piece of this shows up in the morning. And uh, I just, I want to appreciate them once again for just doing an amazing job. Yeah. They also work out in the lobby setting up and children's, uh, the, all the, there's a whole coffee hallway and it's just, it's, we've taken over every space in this room. Uh, one thing though I will say is uh, this stage you may have noticed is a progressive stage, meaning that it's kind of changed along with the series and the windows changed as well. They started with leaves and then they got a little more fallish and then, then the leaves fell off and then there were bare trees and I told Alyssa, hey, by Christmas Eve, I want it to be just really snowy. And Alyssa's our programming director. And she goes, yeah, no problem. And I came in and I said, how is next week gonna be more snowy than that? And so I told her, this is going to age me, but it, it reminds me next week we should be like, you know, Pa Ingalls when the snow came and he was in the house and he opened the door and they're like, oh, are we going to get food? So I'm trying to get her to just bury us in snow, it's snow next week, but I don't, I don't know if she's going to go for it. But um, uh, it's just, it's, we have a lot of fun and we do that because God is, he's always working right where we're at in our story. And uh, that's a little bit more about today and, and what we're going we're gonna to develop. So let me pray. And then I'll share with you for about a half hour or so. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the folks in this room. I ask, Lord, for the next 30 minutes that whatever distractions they brought in, whatever uh, is, is heavy on their lives, they would be honest about it. That they would um, recognize that you can meet that need, that you can, you can um, sit with them, you can walk with them right where they are, right how they are. Thank you, Lord, that that's what you do. Thank you that you are an intimate God, that you are, that you are okay with, uh, with doubt, you understand fear, you are someone who, who meets us where we are, and I know in a room like this during the holiday season, all of that is presence. Thank you for, for just being here and for spending this time with us now. We just lift your name above it all, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. 
Well, this morning's message is really a part one. Uh, it'll be completed next Sunday because we're going to set up the Christmas story, the nativity. So we're going to talk about next week. That's the tradition, legend, and lore story we're going to talk about next week. But as we continue to prep for that, uh, my hope is that we can see this week so many of the things built inside our traditions, legends, and lores that point us towards the one who reigns at the center of it all. And this week's topic is no different. It, it's incredible how deep it actually rests within uh, our Christian faith and the way in which God has used it. I know for some of you, this series has been challenging. For others, it's been enlightening. Some of you flat out told me I don't agree, but tell me more. That's a posture we like here. I don't, I don't agree with you, but tell me more. Uh, either way, I'm proud of us for taking the time to ask hard questions around why we do the things we do and what they mean. So with all that said, let's just kind of use our imaginations to go back in time about 2,000 years on a dark and starry night. And imagine that uh, you're with your shepherd friends, you've worked a long day, and uh, you're talking about all the latest shepherd gossip, whatever that might be. Can you believe so-and-so bought that field? Everyone knows that field's garbage. Can you believe so-and-so's charging those prices? So-and-so showed up late again tonight. So-and-so lost so many sheep to the wolves that one week. Just whatever. I don't know shepherd gossip. I don't know. But they're, they're doing it. They're doing it. And they're talking and they're thinking and they're, they're, they're focused on what it is in their story they're dealing with, just like we are here right now. And in the midst of all that, the sky splits and a sound happens and suddenly a song, a proclamation that will forever change the world as you and everyone knows it is poured forth before their eyes. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, is where we'll start. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. I think one of the things that is really important about this particular passage is the way in which the angels approach the shepherds, these, these common people, people like us. They're, they're in a place that is receptive but not really seeking. They're in a place that is, that is clearly uh, engaged, but they're not really uh, on a sojourn of spirituality whatsoever. I think sometimes we as the church think people need to be, uh, you know, a mile or two into their walk towards God before God meets them. And I just don't see that throughout the Bible. I see that God pretty much shows up whenever God wants to show up, just to remind us that he's God. I think even some of you right now that are holiday people, you're here at church because I joke a lot that a pretty girl asked you or maybe an aunt that you owe a favor to. <laughs> maybe you're just in town and so you got stuck because what else are you going to do? Either way, you're in a service, but you're not really wanting to be here. You're not really on a spiritual journey. You don't even know if you buy all this stuff. I'm just here to tell you, I think that 
unbeknownst to you, that's like the perfect opportunity for the Holy Spirit to show up and say, hey. So welcome. Because I believe we serve a God who wants to meet you right where you are, right inside your story, just like he did with these people. Now, pause. Fast forward to where you're at today, this place that I just described 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about that starry night. As a matter of fact, churches all over the world over the next 10 days will be talking about that starry night. We celebrate this story. Whether we mean to or not, it's part of our culture, it's part of our tradition. It certainly is legend, and to some people it's just lore. You are in a church service talking about Christmas because of what happened 2,000 years ago and because of the message those angels proclaimed and the song they sang. When we think of Christmas, there are many things that might spring to mind, like delicious food, opening presents, feeling chilly, being buried alive in snow, like we will all be next week, <laughs> I hope. One thing that many people look forward to singing, it, forward to around Christmas, is singing or hearing Christmas carols. A Christmas carol, also called a Noel, from the French word meaning Christmas, is a song or hymn whose lyrics are on the same theme of Christmas and which is traditionally sung on Christmas itself or during the surrounding holiday season. And the reason I know this is a tradition you all accept is because no one has ever asked anyone singing in clothes like that, why are you dressed like that? Matter of fact, if you just walked around the mall that way, people would go, oh, are you caroling? You don't even have to celebrate Christmas and you know what that means. No one has ever asked a group of people singing during Christmas, why are you doing this? Because it is so in, entrenched in our culture, in our tradition, that caroling and singing is part of how we celebrate Christmas that we don't even think about it. We just accept it, we walk by it, we enjoy it, or we hate it. I don't know. It's just part of what we do. But here's the question, and here's today's topic. Why do we sing carols, and where did they come from? And I think the answer uh, might surprise you. I know it did me. The idea of celebrating in December with songs and festivities has been around for many hundreds of years, even before Jesus was born. But of course, before Jesus was born, they didn't call them Christmas carols because he was the reason for Christmas, and that didn't exist. So in Roman times, we have to go all the way back and look at these feasts, which were held during winter, specifically around the winter solstice, which is the shortest day of the year. Many people would say the, the saddest, the darkest, the coldest. And so this tradition started of people gathering on that day in late December, of gathering and, and hoping to cheer themselves up with a winter festival. It was a long and noisy party with lots of wild dancing and singing. And they would sing about all their woes. They would sing about all their struggles. They would sing about the darkness. They would sing about the cold. They would sing about the hopelessness. And they would drink. And these songs would get merry and merry and merrier. And people looked forward to these nights. As a matter of fact, the word carol probably comes from the old French word carole, which means uh, from around the mid-1100s, a popular circle dance accompanied by singing, and it's not on here, but if you do the research, a whole bunch of drinking. <laughs> After Jesus was born, his teachings began to spread to many parts of the world, and his followers wanted to encourage everyone to become a Christian. 
And so followers of Christ, specifically then led by the Holy Spirit, which is like this internal conscious, right? He's, he's guiding you. He's, he's leading you. He's putting you in different situations. There is no Bible back then when Jesus was born. There is no church service similar to this. It's just people receiving the Holy Spirit and saying, what do I do next? And somehow throughout the next thousand years, these people who recognized and probably were part of these festivities during the cold portion of the year gathered and took those drunken songs and those drunken tunes sang by drunkards and winches, a word I've always wanted to use in church. Winches is the word if you're taking notes. <laughs> winches, for those of you who didn't know what I said, winches. <clears throat> I have less elders in this service than the last one, so. They took those tunes, okay, and those people, and they met them right where they were inside their story, and they changed the words, and those became our Christmas carols. As a matter of fact, most historians believe that many of the musical elements of our Christmas carols, if not like 90 some odd percent of them, were actually drunken festival songs. <laughs> Noel and Joy to the, whatever these, just name them all, were actually songs with very different words, <laughs> sung by very different people. But there were Christians led by the Holy Spirit who entered into those spaces, recognized where people were, and didn't judge them. They didn't say, how dare you? They said, hey, do you know who Jesus is? Of course they didn't. They shared the story, and then somebody's life changed, and then somebody else's life changed. Next thing you know, there's four or five people who took a well-known musical peace and turned it into something that glorified God. And next thing you know, 500 years later, everybody thinks it's the Christians that invented Christmas carols, when really it's the drunkards and the winches. <laughs> it's these average, everyday people. And somebody else said, you're important, you're valuable, you matter. And they took a piece of their culture and a piece of their story, and they took the power of the Holy Spirit and they poured it into it. See, I'm just here to tell you, do you want to know why Kessid is Kessid? It's because we're not trying to get you to be something you're not. We're just trying to get you to be all you're supposed to be through the Holy Spirit. That's all. Yeah. That's all. We're not trying to get you to transform into, into this new version of you. We're trying to get you to, to be redeemed in all that God has done in your life. Every piece of your story is a brick that God uses to build you. And it impacts other people, and it's honored, and it's, it's valuable, and it's important. Our Christmas carols are supposed to point towards that. Somewhere along the way, we forgot that. And they became about the right people singing on tune the right way, dressed in the right clothes, honoring the right God. They were supposed to be songs that other people knew. I used to sing that. A little different, but I used to sing it. And now God got a hold of my heart. Just like he changed that, the words of that song, he changed the words written in my soul. And now just like that song, I'm different, but kind of the same. See, the songs were different, but kind of the same. God used what they were to honor him, and he wants to use who you are to honor you. That's why this, this story work we do here, that's why the Untethered series, the, all these kinds of things that we have been trying to remind people about, you don't have to put on a new mask to become here. You just got to take off the one that you don't belong in. That's what is happening here. And that's what we've been told and taught 
And it's supposed to be part of our tradition. It's supposed to be part of our legend. And it's supposed to be part of our lore. The tradition grew and grew and grew. And by the 19th century, lots of new carols were written by the church. And many of them are the carols we sing along with those other carols still today. Ordinary people sang carols in their homes, often to their favorite folk tunes, while in church, more formal professional choirs sang sophisticated Christmas music. Many people couldn't read or write, so they learned their carols by heart. As a matter of fact, it's widely known and accepted that many of the Christmas carols that uh, used to exist, no one can remember because they were actually very town-specific. They would mention names and mayors and babies born and parts of their story. They were tied in directly to way God used them and the way God transformed them, and many of those are gone. Christmas carols have been sung in towns like that and villages for hundreds of years with many places even having their own music that they then would take and put into the church so that the choir itself could proclaim. Therefore, just as the songs used to bring people together for all those years, uh, for all those hundreds of years, singing carols at Christmas is still a popular activity to bring families and friends together over Christmas time. In the end, this is what I've come to conclude. Carols are an ancient tradition that are supposed to both proclaim and praise something just like the angels first did. See, here's a really interesting thought around the angel verse that we read because it says something a little further in the story around the shepherds after they heard these angels who first made their proclamation and then sang a praise song. The first and most obvious message is the joyous pronouncement that the king of Israel has been born. It's the very first thing the angel basically says. He's here, he's arrived, he has happened. But notice the reference which follows shortly the announcement to those shepherds after they go and see Jesus. Luke stated that when the shepherds returned from seeing the newborn Jesus, they were, it says in Luke 2.17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So they told Mary and Joseph what they heard the angels say about Jesus. And then they told all who heard it. For people, it says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then I love this. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is just my own little thought, my own little Danny mind and how I work. But if I was a shepherd and I knew the culture of singing, and I understood the festivals, and I heard angels proclaim that the sun has been born, that the life of the world is, the center of all the, the, the world has been uh, brought to fruition, I would probably remember the tune the angels sang. So interesting thought, I wonder if when the shepherds left, they also sang that tune. And I wonder if that tune has been passed down. And I wonder if any of the Christmas carols that still exist today are actually a tune taught to shepherds by angels. I don't know. And neither do you. <laughs> but it says they left praising. What other song would you, I mean, if anything's going to stick in your head, it's probably the one the host of angels just sang. See, the angels were in a sense were caroling. They were proclaiming. They were praising. And then the shepherds went and were caroling. They were proclaiming. They were praising. The Psalms often instruct believers to do this. Psalm 47, 6 through 7 says, Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. Also, James instructed believers, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him praise. You see, the shepherds, I'll put this on the screen, had now joined the angels and were proclaiming to those who listened through their singing and praising of God, the king has come. 
He is here. He has happened. And so they proclaim this beautiful word. The angels' voices aren't just proclaiming that Jesus has arrived. They are praising who he has come to be and always has been. My, one of my best friends, Charles Spurgeon, says, <laughs> regarding this verse, he says, The angels sang the story out, for they could not stop to tell it in heavy prose. They sang glory to God on high and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. He goes on to say, I think they sang it with gladness in their eyes, with their hearts burning with love, and with breasts as full of joy as if the good news to man had been good news to themselves. You see, when we sing Christmas carols, we are following the example of the angels, announcing the good news that Jesus Christ was born, not just for Israel, but for all mankind. Still today, we as God's people are still supposed to sing the story out. We are supposed to proclaim and praise the one who came for us has come for you. This is our message. This is our song. This is our proclamation. The angel shared it with the shepherds. The shepherds shared it with Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph and the shepherds shared it with the wise men and anybody else who would listen. And the message has been sent and we are still in that choir. We are using and redeeming every single day these lives that were given to us in order to proclaim he's here, he's arrived, he has happened. And it's always been he that changes everything. He who restores those that feel alone and without relationship. He who redeems those who feels worthless. He who reaches those who feel abandoned. And he who remembers those who feel forgotten. It will never be about the program or the set decorations or the worship or the preaching or the creativity. It will always be the life of God and how he implores us to engage with him right where we are. This is the carol of the church today. And this is what you all are a part of. This year is in years in the past. We as a church take time to learn about and then give to some of the places outside our walls that God is doing these very things, restoring, redeeming, reaching, and remembering. His Heart Foundation, who we are going to talk with in just a moment, is one of those places. They sing the story out. They support the message that God has given to his children to share. I want to show you a quick video that kind of gives you an idea of what they do, and then we are going to meet with the director of His Heart and Pastor Chris Potter to learn a little bit more about how you can be a part of this choir that God is building. Please watch. In today's broken world, we are hit most by broken relationships. 48 million people are fighting mental illness each and every year. One in three children are living in their homes without their fathers present. Kids are struggling in school and don't really have anyone to turn to. His Heart Foundation sees this crisis. We are serving and empowering the local church. We're doing that in areas of mental health through our counseling referrals and mental health education. We believe in His Heart Foundation because it's, it's, a, it's a viable right now resource. Frankly, when, when clients are seeking counseling, that's when they're most vulnerable. They're having the hardest time negotiating things and trying to figure out who's the best counselor, 
Um, all those seem overwhelming and difficult to, to accomplish. So his heart helps to simplify that. They have someone to talk to, someone to brainstorm with, um, think through their questions, their hesitations. I was an absolute wreck. Um, I had come off a horrid, terribly destructive, manic episode, which could have cost my life, um, cost everything that was dear to me, my marriage. Living with my kids. And um, I knew I needed help. I got connected with his heart. I've been going to Rebecca for about five months, and um, to be connected with a Christian woman was such a blessing. How it plays out with His Heart Foundation is just such a huge, huge benefit for us as pastors, for us as churches, and for the people that we love and we care about. With mentoring through our Mentor Success Program. Mentor Success is a structured mentoring program where we tailor the mentoring program to the student's area of interest, whether it's sports, whether it's art, whether it's cooking, it could be automobiles, whatever the interest area is, we try to utilize that and get them engaged in literature that matches that interest in some cases, pair them with a mentor and bring that to life for them. A lot of times people say, what do you mean when you say success? Well, we're talking about success in life, but also in school. Sometimes uh, young people have no significant adult in their life at home, and so mentoring gives them guidance and also helps to give them direction in their lives. And it gives them somebody that they can relate to and also talk to about the things that are going on in their life. It's really not that difficult a job. It really is just more of an intent, a desire to help somebody else. And if you can do that, I think most people can. This is a great way to, to really make a big investment in the life of a child. Through restoration with our Oasis Retreat Center in Vancouver, Washington. Jesus was on his way to Galilee and he was stopped by a desperate father. His son was dying and he knew Jesus was the only one who could do anything about it. Jesus stopped what he was doing and he said the word and the official son was healed. We too are committed to expressing that kind of love and compassion. As people connect to His Heart Foundation through their local churches, we want them to experience the love of God. Each one of our services is designed to support the local church. We are convinced that as we work together as a community, that we will see people draw closer to God and closer to each other. We're excited to see the stigma of mental illness broken in the church. We're excited to see kids feeling a sense of success, not only at school, but also in their life and a hope for their future. We're excited to see families and individuals come and experience restoration and healing at our retreat center. We are committed to transforming one life at a time.
Pastor Chris and I are excited to introduce you to Angela Howard, who's the director of His Heart Mental Health and Foundation. Can we just give her... We're going to dive in with her and her, kind of her story in just a moment, but I want to say something real quick. I recognize there's probably two different platforms in this room for listening. There are the people who are curious about, around how to help, how to be a part, how to support, and we're going to talk about that. And then there are the people uh, like myself, as you guys all know, I've uh, been in therapy now for coming up on four years, actually weekly therapy. And uh, a program like this is sort of what I'm a part of. You might be listening for, well, how do I get engaged and how do I, how do I sit with someone to understand more about my own emotional health and story. So those two things are happening in the room. Some people are probably both. Uh, but some people are certainly one or the other. So, Angela, tell us sort of how you, how, how did this start? I mean. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I woke up like this. <laughs> so I'll do my best. Oh, boy. I joked um, last services because the emotional message, the power of the message that I just gave probably has impacted it was, you. It was. Okay. The Holy Spirit's just, it's overwhelming. Yeah. So the issue of mental health, oh, it's gotten worse. Obviously. I told you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll stop talking. Um, is, <laughs> is not only important to me because of the people that I serve. I'll just go to the whisper now, okay? Um, and to, because of the position that I have, but because of my own personal story. Um, my husband and I met in Bible college, and we, I can't believe this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, and we had no idea that our lives would be almost torn apart by this very issue. Um, we were getting married and were preparing for our wedding, and I started noticing some changes in his life, and his once outgoing and fun personality turned inward and depressed, and I just kind of chalked it up to, oh, it's the wedding preparations and things like that. <clears throat> but we had no idea that we were starting off our marriage on this terrifying roller coaster of mental illness. And nothing could have prepared me for um, being married to someone with bipolar 2 disorder. I think that in 2019, there's definitely still a stigma um, around the word mental illness. But... Um, you know, that is something that really prevents people from reaching out for help and those who love them. It prevents us from really wanting to admit that there is a problem. And in, in the 90s, it was so much worse. I remember Michael being brave and just taking a risk and saying, you know, I'm feeling really sad and depressed. And he was in a youth staff meeting um, and just, you know, wanted to just reach out for that help. And another leader, unfortunately, in this meeting said, well, I really question whether you have a relationship with God if you're feeling depressed because Christians should never be depressed. So, you know, he's feeling broken. He's feeling, you know, just kind of worthless at this point. And that statement alone just kind of led him down that path of despair where eventually he wanted to take his own life. He thought that maybe that was the merciful thing to do for his family. You know, we finally, after 10 years of struggle, got to the bottom of what he was going through, which was bipolar disorder and ADHD. And at that point, we felt a sense of hope, like there's something we can do about this. There's 
a way towards healing. And I began to educate myself in the issues of mental illness. And I felt like I could offer an empathy and compassion that I didn't have before. And it changed our lives. You know, that didn't happen, though, until we got a correct diagnosis. That was such a pivotal part. You know, it was a huge, you know, trial and error. And it was doctors and counselors and psychiatrists and firing psychiatrists and you know, just so much of that struggle, but Michael never gave up, and we didn't give up on each other. And I think that even today, it's been 14 years since his diagnosis, and I'm not gonna say that every day is perfect. We still hit those bumps in the road, but the difference is we have a hope that is profound. We know that there's a way forward. We know that there's continued healing. And so when I was even offered this job, which, didn't even exist. It was at the very infancy of this organization. I came to my family and I said, you know, what do you think? Should, should I do this? And everybody was on board. My kids were like, yes, do it. My husband said, God's prepared you for this. You know, you know that this is where you're supposed to be because I know about it personally. And then also just, you know, as a minister, I know what it's like to see people broken and not know where to turn. Yeah. So, so, Here's how it has worked for us. Uh, as we have kind of weaved mental health and emotional health and spiritual health into our church body, um, we've had lots of people awaken, not to uh, maybe things like, uh, and well, we've had extremes. We've had the bipolar awakenings, like, wow, I think there's something here. Or we've just had people who need to do story work yes. and sort of understand why That's they're crucial. driven to yeah. doing what they're doing. And Chris and I, although we've done therapy and all we, although we believe in therapy, aren't therapists. We're pastors. And so we were really struggling with um, helping people find counselors, helping people find the right sort of uh, uh, facilitators for the work they needed to do. And yet it's everywhere in Kesset. As a matter of fact, uh, just last week, a gentleman called me and said, you know, I'm retiring, I'm switching jobs. I recognize that, uh, that this next season of my life, there's some stuff I haven't dealt with, so I want you to know, and I'm, and I'm being brave enough to, to let you know, uh, Danny, that I, I'm seeing a counselor. And I was just kind of quiet, and he goes, and I know that because, well, I know you see a counselor. It was like we had this counselor code that we were both sharing. And that really is what's happened here at Kesset is that we are, we are pro-therapists and pro-emotional <coughs> health and pro-all those things. And so uh, I ended up getting an invite to come sit with you uh, and learn about his heart. Chris right now is who kind of meets with people and does a lot of our pastoral care. So I said, Chris, there might be something here. Chris went and met with them, and he came back, and he was like, this is it. I mean, this, this is, this is, so Chris, tell us, so we understand in a little more depth yeah. how it actually works and what they do that we're supporting. Yeah, so a, a lot of, um, and I'll, I'll let Angela share more about a lot of the resources that they have, but for us, as, as Danny shared, um, as we encounter you and your story and your beautiful stories, everyone's different, and, and the, the scope of care that we have to cover is very broad, and our ability as a few on-staff pastors um, to walk intimately weekly is limited. And so we were desperate to find uh, um, someone to partner with that could help us because we know you and your story pretty well, but when it comes to other counselors and therapists and language I like to use as guides for the journey, um, they're not all created equal. And so to know them, to know their specialties, to know uh, the, the ways in which we should um, send people to them was a difficult thing. And I was... I was uh, 
reluctantly going to start the journey from scratch, just a blank Excel spreadsheet and coffees with every therapist in town. And then we had a lunch and she said, that's actually what we do. And so I was overjoyed at that because a lot of the times when we have to resource out because we think that's the best way to care and love you is to find a guide that can walk with you in your story. Now there's a trust built to say we can find that. Not only finding the right therapist, but um, looking at uh, income levels, looking at insurance, all the variables that, that cause you to make the decisions you make for a guide in your life. Uh, we found an organization that we get to partner with that helps us with that. And that's a beautiful thing for us. Right. I just want you to imagine <clears throat> a young teen, preteen girl living 4,000 miles away with, um, in Colombia, South America. She was desperate to make a connection with her mother. So her father allowed her to live again in Colombia. And he had no idea that he was sending her into a home of chaos because her mother had just married a man that was abusive. And so, you know, she, just this desperate need for love, um, you know, just she, she endured this mental manipulation, this abuse, even to the point of malnutrition. And then at the age of 14, her mother suddenly dies and she is sent back to live with her father here in the States. And he does not know what to do with the abuse that she suffered and with the trauma that she's gone through. So he's looking at a list of counselors from his insurance and he's calling all of these counselors. He's not getting calls back. And when he does, people don't have appointments for him. None of them are sharing his faith and he's just feeling so discouraged. And this is where you guys come into the story. Um, he reaches out to someone that is in one of our coalition churches, these churches that we are partnering with, like with Kesed, and he shares his story and he reaches out to us and he's surprised to get a call back, like, and connect and be prayed with and find out the information so that we can connect his daughter to someone who specializes in her area of need someone who really cares for her, who shares her faith. And so they make this great connection. And then there's this sense of hope, right? This family is, is starting to be put back together. And this girl is gonna have her life changed as a result of this healing that is taking place. And so um, as time goes on and she meets with her counselor, her counselor recommends that she sees a psychiatrist. And so they give us a call back and we refer her to a, a psychiatrist. and and they are meeting together and managing medication and she ref makes it happen for her to have an emotional support dog and all of those little details that really matter so that she can be on this journey of healing so that her story matters so that she knows that even though she's been through so much that she can find healing and i just think you know that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for a church who cared if it wasn't for a counselor who was well-trained, if it wasn't for people who supported the effort financially so that we could make this happen. And you know, you can help that, you can help make that happen. We have um, given over $8,000 in scholarships this year and we expect for that to increase in 2020. And that is an average of $222 a person. And so if you wanna be a part of that, you can give on a one-time basis or monthly, 
And the exciting thing about giving in the month of December is that we have an anonymous donor that is matching dollar for dollar every amount given. And we're so excited about that. It's really those individual lives that are touched and changed. We're here in preparation for eternity, so we know it's going to be messy, right? We don't expect for lives to be perfect, but we know we have a God who cares about our stories and who is here to have our lives transformed and changed. So yes. I'm excited about that. Yeah, for sure. So here's how it works. Um, there's red envelopes on your seat, and every dollar that you put into here or every $222 that you put into here uh, will go towards his heart and, um, and helping the foundation continue to help people. Also, Angela afterwards is going to be at a table in the back if you have questions about helping out monthly and, uh, you know, where you want to give kind of ongoing, you know, 10 bucks a month, more, whatever, just being a part of what they're doing. Or if you want questions about your story work or maybe someone close to you story work, she's going to be out there and have access. This is going to be something that's ongoing for us at Kesed, so you may see her around or you may hear us talk about it. If you were to call us and ask for pastoral counseling and we, we met one or two times, eventually we would probably encourage you to, to see his heart. They work with all different insurances, they work with sponsors, they work with churches, uh, and they're just a great place to start your mental health journey or to support if you are a, if you're a believer in the power of, um, of having healthy spirituality uh, and, and a mental presence. So there's a couple different ways you can give. If you write a check, make sure the check is made out to Kesed. We're going to gather those all up and then write one check to the organization. Uh, the red envelopes are going to be collected here in just a minute and put in the uh, offering baskets. But if you need more time, you can put them in the box. And you can also give at the kiosk. There is a button in the back that you can hit now that says um, uh, red envelope. So uh, I, we're so grateful that you're here. I know this is a risk, and, you, and, and even your voice is just so powerful so, right now. It's so lovely. Amazing. You know what? I just yeah. want to say one more thing, <laughs> even though it's awful. Um, not everyone has a mental illness, right? That's right. kind of what you refer to. But everyone has mental health that they need to care for. It's important so that we can have strong relationships yeah. with other people, with ourselves, and with God. And so the value of this is more than just um, temporary. It's more than just today. It's for our lifetime yeah. relationships. Yeah, that's so. great. Would, would you mind praying for us as the yes. ushers come forward? Yes, we'd, I we'd, will. We'd, <laughs> I know you want to hear me again. I do. I just, okay. I just pray, and then could you close with a song? <laughs> I'll do it. It's probably what the angels sounded like in the story <laughs> earlier. Exactly, exactly. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much that you hear us you see us, you know our stories, you love us right where we're at. And I just pray that each individual person that is here today, that if they need to reach out, that they would have the courage to do so. If they need to reach out because they have family members that are hurting and they just need more information about how to support them, that they would do it. God, I thank you that you are a God who heals. And even when we wanna boss you around about how to do that healing, um, God, let us trust you with how you do that through counseling, through medication, through community. God, we're going to trust you with that. We pray, God, that you would even do miraculous healing. We know that you are more than enough for everything that we need, and we're going to come to you with all of those needs today. We pray that you would bless this offering, that you would multiply it so all the needs would be met for those who need this help, God. We love you so much. We thank you for the gift of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Ushers, you can start. Can we just give Angela a hand?